Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of this Chicago Audible podcast, and welcome to our Bears-Vikings postgame show. The final whistle just sounded, and our Bears took care of business as they won 24-10 to against the Minnesota Vikings, notching their 12th victory of the season. And with that, all I have to say is bring on Philadelphia. Now, I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and to help me break down this game, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicholas Moriano and Brandon Hazlett. And guys, I need to know, how does it feel knowing that the Bears have 12 wins on this season? They're moving ahead now. We can finally start looking at the playoffs after today. I'm, for one, excited, and it's a little bit of a relief knowing that uh, the regular season is now over and we can finally focus on that postseason, which we've known we're going to go there for quite some time now. How are you feeling, Nick? You know, it's a little surreal when you really think about it. Going through the season, none of us expected double-digit victories, a NFC North title, and, you know, just going to the playoffs. But it's a little surreal for me, but it's going to settle in as the week goes on. And like you said, bring on the Eagles. But the Bears are going to the playoffs, and they have double-digit wins. And it's just, it's a, it is a great feeling, but a little surreal at the same time. Absolutely. Like you said, uh, blowing all expectations out of the water, even today, um, how they were able to dominate on both sides of the ball is just another example of the Bears doing the unexpected. Brandon, how about you? It's weird because usually, you know, the last few years we've done this podcast, you know, week 17 is kind of tough to get through. You know, I'm more or less looking forward to watching, uh, watching the prospects play in some of their bowl games and things of that nature, watching college tape and we just talk more NFL. Like that, that's totally awesome. It, it's a different feeling. I don't, you know, I like how I feel. I just don't know how to exactly put in the words because you guys have said surreal about four or five times now. So a different word for surreal we can throw in there, but it's it's a different feeling and it's an incredibly nice feeling. Like, yeah, because like you said, this time, every single year since we've done this podcast, at least, it's been like, all right, guys, we can now breathe. Now we don't have to witness any more Bears football for a year. <laughs> I want more of it, and I can't wait for the playoffs, but we have a game to break down before we get there, and we can maybe end with a little bit of playoff talk, but let's just go ahead and jump right into our opening drive in the first quarter of our postgame show, and let's go ahead and begin like we always do with my monster moment, 
And actually, it's going to be a monster drive because my monster moment is going to be that Bears 75-yard, nine-minute scoring drive uh, that started late in the third quarter, ended up going halfway through the fourth as well, and it helped the Bears uh, go up by you know a bunch of points. I don't have it exactly here on me. Was it 11 points at the time because of the two-point conversion? So, yeah, the Bears went up by 11 yeah. points after Nick Wachowski, of all people, caught the two-point conversion pass. I mean, I understand with all the injuries at wide receiver, you have to find ways. Yeah. Bradley Sowell's already out there in one offensive play and was like double team, so had to find someone else. And that someone else was Nick Wachowski. But that drive, uh, the Bears converted six third downs on that drive alone. Mitchell Trubisky played um, smart, efficient football, as Brandon and I were hoping for on the podcast on Thursday. But that's just another great example of the Bears finding a way to kill a lot of clock and put up points in the process, which really kind of put Minnesota um, pretty much out of reach from that point on. So for me, that 75-yard, nine-minute scoring drive is going to be my monster moment. But Brandon, I want to go over to you. You have a bunch to choose from, a lot of good ones. What's going to be your set of the game? I'm going to go with the total rushing yards. That number is 170 because my X factor on Thursday, Jordan Howard, he, he led the way with 109 yards and played the game like we were used to seeing from him. Uh, with a depleted receiving core and Allen Robinson didn't suit up. Uh, Anthony Miller went out early with a shoulder injury. Taylor Gabriel went out later with a shoulder injury as well. Uh, Nagy turned to, to Jordan Howard uh, to really milk the clock and get the job done like we were talking about on Thursday. I think it was really going to come down to the time of possession. They did a good job of really running the ball with uh, Trubisky had a couple scrambles. Cohen was able to squeak through the line a handful of times, got a running touchdown in there, his third on the year. Uh, so really just a, a great all-around effort by this group, offensive line, running backs. Uh, but really it was, it was nice to see a reemergence of Jordan Howard in a way, a way that we're used to seeing him. And he fell a little bit short of 1,000 yards on the year. I think he's going to finish with like 935 uh, we'll see when the final stats come out, but he he put the team on his back on this one, and he really set the tone early and really established it against a Vikings run defense that wasn't quite top ten, uh, but they only allow 109 rushing yards uh, per game coming into this one. Uh, that average is obviously going to go up, and it doesn't matter for them anymore. Uh, but 170 rushing yards from the offense uh, is my stat of the game because that really carried the offense in a, a receiving core that wasn't necessarily all there in this one. Yeah, no doubt about it. For real quick, I just want to throw one more out there for defense, at least, because this was a game that, again, very impressive on both sides of the ball. But the Bears' ability on third down on defense, only holding Minnesota of 1-11 on third down, which Minnesota is one of the better teams on third down on offense as well, it just goes to show just how, you know, the Vic Fangio effect, because they were still doing that with the second-string defensive guys out there, still getting pressure on Cousins uh, like they did all game long. And for to hold them on third down of 111 is the reason why they weren't able to sustain drives, put up any points on the board. Um, and I believe that one third-down conversion, they had a few that came from penalties, but those don't count, was only a third-and-one in the second quarter. And they ended up punting like three plays later, so it had no impact on the game whatsoever. But, Nick, I want to go over to you. You're going to give us a knack, right? Of course, got to go with the neck. And it's something that you actually alluded to earlier, Will. And it's on that touchdown drive to Tariq Cohen. And there's a lot of good things you saw from Mitch Trubisky specifically, and especially on third downs. On the first third down conversion, it was just an escape. He gets outside the pocket, uses his legs to get the first down. But the, the second one is what I really liked, and I have, have it highlighted in my notes here. There are a couple times throughout the game, especially in that first, that first quarter, really that first half too, where the play clock was winding down. Matt Nagy has to call a timeout. The Bears take a delay game penalty. Well, uh, what Trubisky does on this play, he changes the cadence. He said, we're going on one, going on one. It's third and six, and is able to deliver a perfect ball to Javon Wims. Third and six converts to chains, and that's just showing Trubisky, even the growth from you know the first quarter down into the third quarter where this uh, play specifically happens, shows the growth of a young quarterback. And there was also 
a play earlier in the first half, Trubisky misses a third down conversion and out route to Trey Burton. He actually converts that play to Trey Burton in that same exact drive in that uh, third quarter where Harrison Smith's coming unblocked. Trubisky needs to get the ball out quick and accurately, and he does it to Trey Burton. So my knack's going to Trubisky's growth, not not from a game. It's just from a couple of quarters, from the first quarter all the way to the third quarter, showing that growth because it, that's exactly what you're going to want from your young quarterback, your starting quarterback, to make these adjustments in-game. And Trubisky did this on the road in a hostile environment where the Vikings needed to win. So that was really encouraging to see from Mitch Trubisky. And it all happened and was displayed on one drive, the one that you alluded to earlier, Will. Yeah, that was the drive of the game, the one that really kind of sealed the deal. Moving over to the lowdown, I'll give you my reason, and I want to, I'll want i hand it over to you guys as well. And I'm, I already talked about third down on defense, one of 11, which is incredible. But the same thing for the offense. They were 8 of 14, and the Vikings defense was the best in the NFL on third down, only allowing like a 28 or 29% conversion rate on third down of the year. The Bears are over 50% here, 8 of 16. So I believe third downs on both sides of the ball was really the difference in this game because for the Bears to continually put the Vikings, uh, you know, back onto the ball off the field on defense and of course on the offense to keep that uh, keep themselves on the field to me is an easy uh, recipe that worked out in the Bears favor today so my lowdown is going to be the third down on both sides of the ball but how about you Nick uh, why do you think the Bears won today if you had to well, boil it down when you yeah when you hold uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen to 85 total yards with only 11 receptions you're going to win that ball game against the Vikings because those are two dynamic receivers and the Bears were able to do that for the majority of the game, look, Stephon Diggs got most of his yards on those last couple of plays when the second string defense is in. But that's my lowdown. Being able to contain those two guys specifically in the receiving game, and Kirk Cousins is going to look to those guys to create first downs, obviously for the big play opportunities, but that wasn't the case in this game. So the Bears being able to hold those guys, like I said, to 85 yards, total yards uh, receiving, that's a big reason why the Bears were able to have success on defense and overall have success in this football game and get their 12th straight, or not 12th straight, but 12th overall victory this season. Brandon, I want to go over to you, and it's time to figure out who's going to be the MVB. I want to, is it your choice? Are you going to go with Jordan Howard since you talked about the Bears' ability to run the ball today? Yeah, I think I am, but I, I think that also can go hand-in-hand hand with the offensive line. Kyle Long coming back, he looked very, very good today in my opinion as well. Uh, but I am going to give it to Jordan Howard. Just his, the way he just ran the ball, he Looked like Jordan Howard of old, which is just incredibly nice to see. After all year long, we were clamoring how he wasn't getting the ball enough. He's just not as effective as he was in these last three or four weeks. He's really, really turned it on, and this is the result that we get, uh, especially with the uh, a receiving core that, you know, like I said, went out with injury. Uh, Jordan Howard is really, really the guy that put the offense on his back. And while we said, you know, Mitch Trubisky played effective, played efficient, uh, like we were all hoping we would, uh, Jordan Howard ultimately was was the deciding factor in this one, I think. Awesome stuff there, Brandon. Real quick, just an update from Minneapolis. You can hear Nagy and the team doing their booms right now, apparently through some closed doors and concrete walls, according to Adam John. So the Bears, of course, are very excited to take out their division opponent here, um, not just in the game, but also out of the playoffs and ending their season. But, Nick, I want to go over to you. Who's going to be your MVP? So this is going to be a little different, but I have to give it to Matt Nagy. I think just the way that he approached this game, there's so many different ways. We all know what the outcome of that Rams 49ers game. It was a blowout. So 
Matt Nagy could have easily rested his starters in the second half and said, you know what, we're just going to let off, get it going to the playoffs healthy. But instead, like you just said, Will, they were able to eliminate the Vikings from the playoffs, and he did it, I think, in a very effective way. He was able to keep his stars in there for a majority of the time, enough time to where you build up this lead and you're able to win this ball game. The only thing that I questioned why Trubisky was in, you know, kind of later with maybe, I think it was like four or six, six fifty four left in the fourth quarter. Why is he in there? doesn't matter. The Bears still end up winning and they end up getting out of this game pretty healthy, except for a couple of wide receivers, which we'll probably talk about. But I think Matt Nagy and how he game plan. Look, Nick Kukowski catches a two point conversion. Prince of Mukamara is also out on that play. He's able to create these mismatches, this confusion for defenses and just overall game plan he had for this one, knowing that the Vikings were going to come out and try to punch him in the mouth. That Bears team was able to handle the Vikings on all phases of the ball. But I think it just the MVB really goes to Coach Nagy and how he's able to approach this game, knowing the importance and being able to eliminate a division rival like the Vikings. Excellent work there, Nick. For me, I'm going to give it to Mitch, even though his stat line is of 18-26, which again is very efficient. Um, 163 yards. He made some big-time throws in this game. The one to Taylor Gabriel to get the Bears down to the one-yard line. Uh, I already mentioned the three third-down pickups that they had in that long-scoring drive as well. And Nick, that kind of goes onto your your knack as well. Mitch's ability to learn from mistakes, hit some of the throws he missed earlier in the game um, in some crucial situations down the stretch. But honestly... I believe that drive by itself kind of earned him the MVP because if the Bears don't end up scoring on that drive or if they end up doing a quick three and out after the Vikings just put some points up on the board themselves, that could have changed the entire outcome and course of this game. So for the Bears to really hold onto the ball for as long as they did, milk the clock, move down the field and end up with points due to Mitchell Trubisky's ability to gain first downs either with his feet or with his arm on that drive, to me is deserving of MVP honors. Even if he doesn't have any touchdowns today, I mean, that Taylor Gabriel one got him down to the one. And same thing uh, later on in that other drive when he got down inside the 10 with some of his throws. So even though, like Brandon, I agree, Jordan Howard is well-deserving um, as well, Mitchell was the person and the driving force that allowed this to happen and put the team in position to succeed today. So for me, that's why he's going to end up being my MVB to cap off the regular season. All right, that's going to wrap up the first quarter of our post-game show. And before we enter the second and break down the Bears' offensive performance, I need to call a quick timeout and tell you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats for a price that you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being at a Chicago Bears game in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. As you know, the Bears are going to the playoffs, and they have a home game next week against the Philadelphia Eagles. And SeatGeek, I personally love how you can use it because, like I mentioned earlier, you can find seats that fit your budget and for the best price, and you get the best value for those as well. So definitely check those out. Make sure to sort by value, and of course, you can put some constraints on your budget so you can look for tickets that fit it. Keep in mind, it is playoffs, so tickets are going to be a little bit more expensive than usual, but I think it will be worth it to go root them on in person. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And as you know, everyone at the Chicago Bears, or the Chicago Bears, well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I meant to say the Chicago Audible, uh, uses 
the app. Uh, it's by far the easiest way that we've been able to shop for tickets. We can be anywhere, uh, pull out our phones within a few taps, instantly find some seats. I was looking earlier, still a decent amount of playoff tickets available. I'm sure they're going to go quick this week, so check them out if you can. And the best part of all is that our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS, B-E-A-R-S, for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alrighty, you're listening to the Chicago Audible. I'm your host, Will DeWitt. I'm joined by my trusty co-hosts, Nicholas Moriano and Brandon Hazlett. We are breaking down the Bears' 24-10 victory against the Minnesota Vikings. And now it's time to dive into our offensive discussion. And Nick, I want to hand it right over to you. We've talked a lot about Mitch. we talked about the Bears' ability to move the ball on the ground today. What are some of your general observations from the Bears' offense that you took away from today's game? Yeah, overall, just watching the offense, I liked uh, what Matt Nagy was able to do, and especially just running to the right side and seeing what Kyle Long was able to do. In that first half, you see where Jordan Howard breaks off his longest run of the season, 40-something plus, and you know that just got the offense going. And then you see uh, Matt Nagy really utilizing the short passing game more so, but also implementing long passes. I think that um, you know that kind of kept the defense for the Vikings off balance, just not knowing what exactly is going to come at him. And you see that Trubisky is able to hit the long ball at Taylor Gabriel or go short pass to uh, Trey Burton over the middle. So I like that, um, you know, the utilization of both, but also you saw some different things in there. Like you usually do with Matt Nagy. When you have Bradley Saul as the fullback at times, that's a really big blocker to have in front of Jordan Howard and using him and also using him in the passing game. So again, Matt Nagy is putting his little, you know, little here and there, different things that we haven't seen throughout the season, but also mixing it up. And I think that's exactly what you need to do against a good defense, seeing what works, what doesn't. And I think overall, the offense had a pretty good flow. The only thing going out in a hostile environment, you want to see the play clock be, uh, you know, better utilized, not having it run down, having to take timeouts because come playoff time, obviously those are going to be utilized, uh, you know, an important time. So that's something that they need to work on. But overall, I like the flow of the offense. And look, they were down a bunch of receivers. You're already down, Anthony. Uh, you're down Robinson in the beginning. Then you lose Miller. Then you lose Gabriel. But the Bears are still able to flow and do what they wanted to do. And there were still guys open. So I liked what Matt Nagy did coming into this game against the Vikings. Yeah, you mentioned the receivers going down and the Bears' ability to overcome those injuries going up against a very stout defense that the Vikings have is really impressive. And I think it does all circle back to Matt Nagy calling the plays, figuring out how he can get some people into position to succeed. And of course, Mitch being the person to execute all of that. And on top of that, when the runs, the offensive line playing as well as they did today is also a deciding force. How about you, B? Anything else on the general offensive uh, like takeaway? Yeah, I got three uh, three points I want to talk about on the offense here. Uh, one of them still circles around Jordan Howard. I was just really impressed with him today, but I know there's other guys in the offense. So uh, to start with that, uh, the offense in general set the tone early. Uh, that first drive when they scored, uh, Jordan Howard had that 42-yarder. They did a couple sweet plays, keep the defense off balance, and then the shotgun run from Howard gets it into the end zone. Uh, second thing for the offense is no turnovers because we talked about Thursday will how uh, at least I was a little concerned about ball security with some of those fumbles late against the 49ers. Uh, you know, despite some of them being after the tackle, those are things that you still got to be able to shore up. Bears didn't have any turnovers in this one. So that's huge as far as the execution goes. And then we debated if my bold prediction was bold enough. Bears went three for three in the red zone. I said two for two. So apparently my bold prediction was not as bold as it should have been. Uh, but overall, I mean, just the execution was was flawless uh, for, you know, the play calling, just the whole thing in general. The only thing that Nick already talked about, my one knock on the offense is just the play clock, play clock early on when the, the crowd was really into it. But outside of that, I mean, this offense just looked really, really smooth. 
Yeah, they really did. And again, for them to come out like that today in a game which they had a little bit to play for in terms of potentially moving up to the second seed, even though we knew uh, the Rams against the 49ers, that was kind of a long shot. Um, But for them to keep their foot on the gas throughout, I know I did a poll at halftime, and I believe it was over 50% of Bears fans were hoping the Bears were going to pull their starters and just kind of let it play out at the half. Even though they didn't do that and they waited till later in the game, for them to come out in the second half and remain aggressive, um, it's just exactly what I honestly we should have expected out of Matt Nagy. He's not someone who's going to easily roll over or take his foot off the gas. He's someone who's going to you know keep pushing the envelope, keep putting his uh, the opponent on their heels, and that's what he did today. And for me, one of my bigger surprises was the Bears' ability to be highly effective, not just on third downs like I mentioned, but in the red zone. They were three for three down there, scoring touchdowns on each and every time they got inside the 20. I wish we would have seen the fourth one. Uh, There's once when Jordan Howard took that screen all the way to the 20, and of course, in officiating. um, We try not to gripe about it, but that was pretty (laughs) bad It was bad today. It was bad today. Let's just be blatant about it because there were a lot of calls. You're thinking, okay, I know you maybe the officiating. The NFL wants the Vikings in for some some odd reason, but there were a lot of calls where you're just wondering how, just how is this mm-hmm. going against the Bears? I don't know. Just like that holding <laughs> call because the defender yeah. was one that threw Kevin mm-hmm. White to the ground, and then Kevin yeah. gets called for. It. I mean, Nagy was upset about it. I was upset about it. Everyone listening, I'm sure if they watched the game, was as well. But I'm curious what they could have done with that one as well. But regardless, still three trips down there three touchdowns, and if you do that against a defense that coming into this game over their last three weeks is only allowing a touchdown on 16% of those red zone trips, for you to go out there and score 100 on three, super impressive. And for the Bears, who have struggled in the red zone a little bit on the road, to do this in a playoff environment in a dome where it's loud, that gets your hopes up for a potential matchup against a particular team that plays down in New Orleans. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but just to kind of put it out there, it's crossed my mind a couple of times today. But let's go ahead and jump right into player specifics. And we've talked about uh, Mitch a little bit already, off and on, but I'm curious a little bit more in your take. And Brandon, since you know there are other players in offense besides Jordan <laughs> Howard, I just want to let you know that Mitchell Trubisky is one of them, so I'm curious of your take on his day. Yeah, he had a, a very efficient day. He didn't try to do too much, which was incredible nice. We didn't see him scramble until the second half when like, he absolutely had to. Uh, so I thought that was very nice uh, of him to recognize when he should and shouldn't take advantage of those situations. So he's he's also playing smart, very efficient. Uh, and I also like that he's taking the, the downfield shots, one-on-one aggressive shots. He missed Josh Bellamy uh, once or twice deep downfield. Uh, he missed Kevin White, even though he hit him in the shoulder pad. Uh, so that ball, I would think, needs to be caught, but that's for receiver discussions. Uh, but overall, I, I like that he maintained the aggressiveness that we've seen from him earlier in the year, uh, particularly the one that came to mind is when we went down to Miami and he was hitting Taylor Gabriel downfield all day long. It was nice to see him continue to take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities down the field, and it kept the Vikings' defense uh, off balance. They weren't 100% sure if they should blitz guys or not from time to time, and it's, it's nice to be able to see him uh, be able to adapt to that and let – the offense drive uh, what's going to happen rather than reactive uh, to what the defense did, which is a John Fox philosophy, which is we've seen didn't work very well. So now we're in the playoffs because the offense drives what's going on, which is just nice to see driven by a very good quarterback. I think. Oh, Brandon dropped the JF word. I know I didn't want to. It's okay. No, actually it's not. We should never talk about that again. I think we have some good anyway, we're going to the playoffs. Exactly. It's like, it's like, eh, but I want to go over to Nick. Uh, so we talked about the injuries at wide receiver. How much of it is a testament on Trubisky to still find a way to be in a rhythm with some of these guys that he maybe doesn't get to throw to a lot, like a Kevin White, like a Javon Wims? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great testament to Trubisky and just what he's able to learn in this offense from week one to now week 17. And he hits seven different targets in this game. And with, you know, some of those targets just going out and being uh, injured for the rest of the game. So I think it just shows the comfortability that Trubisky has in this offense, which is great to see. And I just thought the decision making overall for Trubisky was, you know, very good in this game. There weren't those those balls where it's like, okay, is this 50 50? This could have gone the defender's way or the offense's way. But no, I thought. Trubisky just where he had the ball placement his decision making where he was going with the pass I thought that was really good today especially against like we, we talked about this is a good Vikings defense and he's gonna face some you know a Eagles defense next week that has you know a capable defense has a lot of edge rushes he's gonna have to be very precise with his ball placement and I thought that was the big thing in this one that's what I wanted to see from Trubisky not him to have one of those iffy games where he's throwing the ball inaccurately where it's almost like oh man this could have been picked off he was very efficient, felt very comfortable just watching him in the pocket. He looked like he was comfortable. And when he had to move, he did. So good for Trubisky. He learned how to slide, too. There were a couple times where he slides a little early as opposed to getting maybe those few extra yards. That's what you want to see from your starting quarterback and to remain your starting quarterback. And before we uh, move on, I saw um, just in the chat here, Alex Walker, he said, her, this is uh, where – on YouTube is having club dub. So people are kind of just having fun in the chat there. So just want to point that out. But overall, Trubisky, I really liked how he played today. I like that chat club dub. Yeah. Keep it up there guys in the live chat here on YouTube, but you also have to give some credit here to the offensive line today because you talked about how comfortable he was in the pocket. And it's because for the most part, they gave him a very clean one and some time to work with. And he trusts those guys up front. But one the, uh, the a couple times when like the levy breaks and like a Daniel Hunter kind of breaks through, he had the awareness to sidestep it, move around and either run for it or make a throw on the run. And today I just want to let you guys know he wasn't sacked once. I think only one quarterback hit. Brandon, you talked about it on Thursday, just how very stout this front seven is and how potent they can be at getting after quarterbacks. Well, the, for the Bears, Bears to shut out the Vikings like they did, not getting to Trubisky. This was the first game ever that Trubisky was not sacked, and this was the game to do it. So for them to go into the playoffs like this against the front seven um, with the Vikings, Brandon, can you refresh my memory? Were they leading the NFL in sacks this week? Were they? Up they there? were because they, yeah. they had fifty, and that led the league. Yeah, yeah, and none today. Not any, that's like incredibly impressive. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Kyle Long coming in early had a big impact. I wonder how much that fired up that unit to get their leader back, get number 75 out there. I mean, he played with some great passion and energy to begin this game. We'll talk about that in a minute, but when you look at Trubisky's success today, I think a lot of it goes to the offensive line, not just for protecting him and giving him a pocket, but also paving the way on the ground because, of course, any quarterback's best friend is a good running game, and the offensive line was able to kind of hit uh, both of those with ease today. Well, maybe not with ease. They had to, well, they had to work for it, of course, mm -hmm. um, but they made Trubisky's job much more easier today in both of those categories. So for me, just the offensive line, honestly, when you think about it, may end up being one of those underrated MVBs that maybe Mr. Trenches should have gone with, but he didn't. <laughs> I, I really thought about it. It was very close consideration. As, as long as it was a potentiality, I'll take it. Okay. Now, I want to go ahead and move over to the wide receivers. And by wide receivers, I'm like you said, everybody, because they didn't have many wideouts today. Uh, you talked about no Gabriel, no Anthony Miller after a shoulder popped out again. Uh, and then, of course, no Robinson today. So you had Kevin White in. You had a Javon Wims in today. I'm curious for Brandon. Who stuck out to you today? Javon Wims for coming in, not having a catch 
all year and then coming in going four for four for 32 yards. That's a guy who's got that next step up mentality. He's He made the most of his opportunity today, I think. And I'm sure at times throughout this year, he was probably down on himself. Not, you know, well, he's not out there playing. You know, I'm, I'm sure I would be upset a little bit, uh, but he made the most of his opportunity today. He's a guy that we really liked in training camp, was really able to make the, the bigger plays downfield, able to get these 50-50 balls. He's a bigger guy as it is. Uh, the fact that he went out there, caught everything thrown his way today, I think that really speaks for the, the future that he's got. Yeah, I'm very excited about this kid's future. We were in training camp when we went and seen him there. And, of course, what he was able to do in the preseason, he has a lot of potential. And I think we saw a little bit of that coming untapped uh, today. And I'm, curious, I'm, again, looking ahead. But what he can do next season is very enticing. But, again, we have more football ahead. Even though it is Week 17, we do have more Bears games ahead. But, yeah, and his favorite catch of mine, of course, was that one at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, it was a third down. He was on Trey Wayne, had a great route, was able to sit right in front of him. Wayne's even had an arm in there. He had the tough you know, hands able to haul that in. Uh, but, yeah, Javon Wim, someone who really stood out today. I'm curious, Nick, uh, how was Kevin White? I know he had only the one catch for 22, but that was one hell of a catch. That was a great route by him, setting up that corner route, just being able to cut on a dime and then, you know, go up and get the football. And that's what fans would obviously love to see from Kevin White being a guy that, again, of course, was a first round pick. But it was a great play by him. And he got snubbed on that uh, one call by the refs. It wasn't holding on him. But look, a guy that he was also uh, I actually first saw him. And I tweeted out and he was on special teams. He was a he was, uh, you know, blocking one of the gunners there. So it was. Kevin White was out there trying to just show his versatility and I obviously only had the one catch, but I like, you know, what he saw from him. I, of course, we're probably going to get like in the next uh, mailbag, like, is, is Kevin White do enough to, <laughs> you know, make the team or him. something, <laughs> you know? Uh, no, I don't think so. He did have the nice catch. That was nice to see. Obviously, he's put a lot of work into this season and a lot of guys went down, so he had to do that. So it was great to see that, but I wouldn't have these high expectations for Kevin White now that he had one catch for 22 yards and was able to you know, get on the field, actually. So it was great to see, but we'll see what ends up happening when you hopefully get Robinson, Miller, and Gabriel back. Now, I did um, tweet out with Anthony Miller with his shoulder popping out. Again, non-contact, he just kind of spread it out a little bit too far, which very unfortunate. I don't anticipate it really holding him back in the playoffs. I mean, the last time it popped out, just with the harness on, he was able to play the week after. So he should be good to go, and I tweeted that he should probably get some surgery on that labrum to repair it. And his uncle replied and said that was the plan all along. So I don't know if this is scoop, but just look for some off-season surgery from Anthony Miller to fix that shoulder. Um, as someone who's dislocated his shoulder six times, I know that uh, sometimes you may just want to get the surgery. And afterwards, it doesn't pop out anymore. It's actually quite magical how uh, health and medicine could kind of work in that regard. <laughs> but Kevin White, we talked about him. We talked about whims. So we have the W's out of the way. Taylor Gabriel, again, he was someone who, after that big catch, he did some other good things underneath. He was able, and there's a third and long, and he short, caught it short, and this is early in the game. Um, but he was able to make a man miss, fight for some extra yards, and they ended up being short. Uh, the Bears did end up punting, but it's one of those plays that I wanted to make sure it gets not on notice because it's a, as a small guy in the field, for him to fight for those extra yards as well as he did should be something that gets kind of applauded. And then, of course, uh, today, Trey Burton, 5'6", 33 yards. He did, I think today was finally him being that security blanket for Trubisky, either over the middle or into flats. I know he got missed on the first target to him on the sideline, but like you mentioned, Nick, they came to the same exact route later in the game. I was kind of able to hit it. But Trey Burton today, he came up big, I thought, only 33 yards, but those were some crucial 33 yards when he was able to get those touches to either convert on the third down or to put the Bears in a situation where they can't succeed on the next down. So for me, Trey Burton uh, kind of played the part of security blanket, which is a role that we've all been kind of hoping to see him kind 
kind of fulfill. Uh, do either you, Brandon, or Nick, have anything else on any of these guys? You know, I'm kind of surprised that, again, I think even last week, Tariq Cohen, not as much involved in the passing game, only two or How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Exceptions, eight yards. But that's actually a good thing for the Bears, knowing that he doesn't have to be like the focal point and have to have five receptions and, you know, 70 yards or something like that to for this offense to get going. The Bears can utilize different options. And that's great to see that even though Tariq Cohen didn't have a very productive game in the receiving game, the Bears are still effective, you know, in that area with the weapons that they had. So I just want to point that out, that the Bears offense, yes, Tariq Cohen is a big part of it, but he's not all of it because there's a lot of weapons that Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy will utilize in each respective game plan. Right. I'm I'm curious because, like you said, it's been a couple of weeks now where he hasn't been able to get going as a receiver. I wonder if that's by design, if they have a few extra wrinkles that they want to kind of throw out here once we reach the postseason, or if it's just by happenstance because that's not where the balls are actually going right now, which... You know, there's no right or wrong answer here. I can't, they're not going to tell you which one it is, and we're not really going to be able to know. But it seems odd that we're ending the season and getting it after we knew we we're going to reach the playoffs. That's when Tariq Cohen, his like visibility and offense, his role starts shrinking a little bit. So I'm wondering what's in the works underneath the surface here. Again, maybe I'm overanalyzing things, but that's just how it kind of feels to me. Brandon, I want to go over to you, and I want to kind of transition over to the Bears game on the ground because, as you know, you're a big Jordan Howard fan today. So I'm curious, anything else either on him or the Bears' ability to really push the ball? Again, Jordan Howard, 21 carries, 109 yards. The Bears are now 11-2 and when Howard has 20-plus in his career and a little bit shy of 1,000 yards, which, again, it's only a number, but it would have been kind of neat for him to start his career with three straight 1,000-yard seasons. But I think for him to even be close – is a big testament to um, him playing the long game here this season because at times I, we didn't think it was actually going to be even a possibility or either a river uh, or even in reach. So Brandon, over to you. Yeah, I think you said it all very well, and I'm glad you brought up the stat that the Bears are was 11 and two when he has 20 more touches. Yeah, so again, feed him the ball. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, he, he's patient and he had a lot of great cutbacks today. I think that was a big part of him getting 109 yards. Uh, the offensive line kind of flows one way, and he quickly realizes that nothing's going to be there, so he's able to cut it back, get a few extra yards uh, doing things that way. And Tariq Cohen also had a couple of those runs today where he's able to cut it back, get a big first down, things of that nature. Uh, so I I think I've harped on, well, praised Jordan Howard a lot, especially because he hasn't necessarily gotten it uh, this year. I thought he just patience, good footwork, kept the feet churning, was able to take some of these big hits when he was piling in there uh, up the middle of the line on these slam runs. It was really good out of the shotgun today as far as running, just his vision today really stood out to me because that's how you're able to get those 109 yards uh, you're able to find those cutback lanes able to hit the first hole and explode through it just a very efficient game by Jordan Howard and Mitch Trubisky since he was also uh, on the offense he also had those three scrambles too which since we're just going to talk about the running game very good timing for for two of those I thought so just very good vision by all three runners main runners today Tariq Cohen included is able to sneak through the, the middle of the offensive line to get a touchdown on this one as well today so very good vision by all three guys, and that, that's what leads to a very good running game. 
Now, last week, I know I wanted to look at some numbers with the Bears' red zone on defense. I know it has nothing to do with the Bears' running game on offense, but I'm, I have the same kind of gut feeling that once this week's over, I want to go back with Jordan Howard. I want to find out the yards after contact today because I'm sure there's a big chunk of them out there because he was fighting through guys today. Again, vintage Jordan Howard, someone who can use his legs, uh, use his leverage to gain some additional yards after the after some contact. And so for me today, that's what I have in my nose. Like he got hit near the line of scrimmage, still able to get three to four yards. And that's continually over and over again. And really his success today, especially on the early downs, to make it from first and 10 to second and six or a second and five, which really set the Bears up for success in offense all day long, is a big reason why, Brandon, I do agree that he is a definite MVP candidate because of his ability to move forward today with that vision, with that ability to fight through contact, and set the Bears up to have manageable second and third down situations. Uh, so for me, that probably is a big reason why the Bears were so successful on third down to be in some of those uh, you know, manageable downs instead of being in third and long all day long. Because if they were against this defense, without the weapons they have on the outside, it would have been an entirely different day on offense. How about you, Nick? I also want to throw oh. in... Real quick, too, that 42-yarder that he had on the opening drive, I think might have been the slowest 42-yard run I think I've ever seen. But he was able to keep the defender guessing which way he was going. So, again, uh, balance and vision, being able to keep guys guessing, which is a, an also big, important uh, reason why he had a big day. Well, that's Jordan Howard for you. He'll get down there for 40 <laughs> yards, and it may take him some time. But, no, he did it. He did a good job, like you said, uh, kind of weaving in and out, making uh, the guy kind of not sure how to attack him, which worked out pretty well. But how about you, Nick? Anything else about Jordan Howard or the Bears on the ground today? Yeah, just keep it uh, short and sweet here. I thought he just, from the get-go, he's just running with a purpose. And you guys even talked about it. Just he was delivering the contact as opposed to receiving it. So that's what we we've seen from Jordan Howard through his first, you know, you know, obviously now this is his third season, but he's been doing that his entire career. And again, even though it's a good Vikings defense, he's going forward making, like you said, well, these manageable downs when he should be tackled for loss. He's able to show this vision, uh, elude a defender and just go forward. And that's what you see from Jordan Howard. Usually I thought three Cohen, um, his first couple runs in the game, could have been a little bit more decisive with his running. I think he did better in the second half as opposed to the first half. And I think we'll talk about that one punt return that, well, it wasn't really a return. It was going backwards. But for the most part, I think the Bears running backs are pretty good at being decisive, reading their, their keys and going forward. And Howard just the epitome of that. He always does that. And you saw that even in you know, one of his touchdown runs, just being able to go forward into the end zone despite getting contact maybe a yard shy of um, where he should have been tackled. So. Jordan Howard, a complete back, and obviously it's good that he's getting going now. And it's really since that Rams game, his first 100-yard game, to where we've seen him be utilized a little bit more in each game, in each game plan. And now the Bears really do have a two-headed monster at the rushing attack. Right, exactly. You know, Andrew Shaheen came back, you saw an uptick in his numbers, and it was steadily growing. And I get Kyle Long back, and we saw in the first half just how effective that could be as well because Kyle Long comes back and – He's blowing off the ball. He's pushing guys five, six, seven yards off the line of scrimmage. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's why he's an upgrade over a, a Witzman. And that makes you realize, like, is, you know, Witzman, he's gotten better and he's serviceable. But when you get that kind of, you know, energy back on your offensive line, of course, Kyle's out there playing with a little bit more to prove with a little bit extra edge being gone for some time, knowing that he has his first playoffs ahead of him. I, I can't wait to see what kind of energy he brings next week against Philadelphia. And, of course, his brother, uh, Chris, on the other sideline as well. But yeah, you talked about the punt return. I want to make sure I say it before I forget. Um, I want I, I'm calling that a punt retreat because it kept going backwards. It wasn't a return; it was a retreat. But Brandon, real quick, 
since guard Mr. Trenches. We talked about the offensive line and gave him a lot of props throughout the entirety of this show so far. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of hit on with them? Anyone else that we should, uh, you know, give a little bit of props? I think the whole unit played great. Um, I'm just curious if you have any other insight there. Yeah, the whole, the whole unit played very, very well. Uh, you talked about Kyle Long having that fire and that passion, and I thought we'd seen it early in the game. I don't remember exactly what the play was, but they're kind of off to the right sideline, and I see a number five back there. I'm like, oh, great, Kyle Long's out there talking trash just immediately. You know, that's that's the kind of Kyle Long we like, and we turn around, and it's Cody Whitehair. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I mean, he's that we've heard that he's that mean kind of monster guy down there in the trenches. So it's nice that, that Kyle Long uh, has transferred that that energy, that fire, that passion to other younger guys on the line as well. But overall, I mean, this this unit just played very, very well. We haven't heard of Bobby Massey hardly all year. Uh, Charles Leno, the tackles, both of them played very well. It's nice to see Bradley Sowell in there as a fullback. Uh, I know uh, Nick's a big fan of Michael Burton at fullback, but uh, Bradley Sowell instead is uh, – was, was the guy today. So it's nice to see that they're getting all these offensive linemen used to different scenarios. And they overall just played very, very well. No sacks allowed, allowed the, the great runs from Jordan Howard today. So a very, uh, very great job by the offensive line in this one, I think. All right, that's going to wrap up the second quarter of our Bears-Vikings postgame show. So that means we're officially at the midway point. I just want to ask you if you haven't yet. Uh, there's still a couple hours before New Year's. I said if we can reach 300 reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes by New Year's, I'd give out some free Bears gear. So definitely check that out if you can and make sure to review our show. And we have another one going as well. If we can reach 5,000 subscriptions here on YouTube, we'd be doing another giveaway. And if we did both at the same time, I would do a third. So sometime to do it. I think YouTube may be a little bit out of reach but uh, help us out. Prove me wrong if you can. That'd be it'd be a great way to keep up with us all throughout the playoffs and, of course, throughout the year as our uh, you know our schedule isn't as consistent as it usually is throughout the, of course, regular season. So if you want to keep up with our show throughout the offseason, uh, subscribe to your YouTube channel is by far the best way to do so, unless you subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, that's all fine and dandy as well. All right, so we're going to officially enter the third quarter of our show and begin our defensive analysis. And just looking at the Bears on defense today, they're only they only allowed 164 yards, 3.2 yards per play, and only 2.7 yards per pass. It's incredible when you look at it that way. Nick, I'm curious when you look at the Bears defense today, what sticks out now that we're about you know 30 minutes plus removed from the game? You know, I think it's just what they're able to do collectively not allowing cook to get going or like i said adam thielen stefan Diggs to really be an impact in this game and once you do that you're really allowing kirk cousins who this season's been a little i would say inconsistent for the vikings so i think just now being like you said 30 minutes removed seeing the complete domination that they've had from start to finish even with the second stringers at times being able to get pressure and get kirk cousins uncomfortable that's, you know, great for the Bears defense because they've done that all season. And at times, at times this season, they haven't played that way throughout the entirety of an entire game. But this one, it was completely different. You just felt comfortable with the defense, regardless of what the score was, a situation that they were going to go out and get the job done. They started the game off with four straight three and outs. That's incredible, especially considering what this Vikings offense has on that side of the ball. But this Bears defense was just able to be dominant. And, it, you know, it just, again, you have the pass rush going. I thought coverage played really well. Prince of Mugamara at times with those pass interference calls, they were very touchy, though. Very touchy calls and um, ones that, obviously, being a Bears fan, you're not going to throw. But I thought that Prince was really tight with his coverage there. Um, and even like a Deion Bush, who a, was a guy who got out of position once on Thielen, had the face mask, I thought overall kept everything in front of him. 
So that's what you want out of your guys that are stepping in. Sherrick McManus is one of those guys. So defense collectively, Vic Fangio had the perfect game plan, knew exactly how to take away the Vikings' biggest weapons, and that's why they weren't a factor in this game. Right. Brandon, on Thursday, I said this. If the Bears can find a way to stop the run and get pressure on Cousins, they're going to have no opportunities to really do anything just like they did in the first matchup. And that's exactly what the Bears did, especially early in this game. Uh, any other – how do I want to phrase this? Is there any other reasons why the Bears were so successful besides those two? Because for me, uh, that was the formula all week long, and that's exactly what worked today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think the big thing was is that the defensive line won the point of attack. That's how they're able to consistently get that pressure uh, on Minnesota. Ended up with the four sacks, had quite a few tackles for a loss in this one as well, especially in the run game. Uh, they only allowed 63 yards, which yeah, about 40 more than the last game. But, you know, we'll, we'll give them those extra 40, you know. But uh, it, it's just amazing how we talked about how dominant this defense looked, and especially because Minnesota had to be desperate. Their playoff lives were on the line in this one, and it didn't even look like they wanted to go out there and compete they they looked a little scared a little intimidated and i'm sure there was some desperation out there as we've seen kirk cousins arguing with adam Thielen at one point about how he's got to cut that a little bit shorter you know and so you could tell there's desperation there but they just did not play like it it just didn't look like because the bears were just so dominant i'm sure if the bears defense was a little bit weaker which i'm glad they're not uh we might have seen that desperation from minnesota a little bit more uh show up and be more evident uh but since this bears defense is as lights out as they are i mean they won the point of attack uh, the play that really stands out to me is Akeem Hicks. The first sack that he had smacks the hands of Mike Rummers down, swim moves around, kind of push him out of the way, and then he's just right there. Uh, so that really sets the tone, especially early. Akeem Hicks also uh, had a tackle for a loss on Cook. Uh, in the backfield did pretty much the same exact thing. It was an open field tackle, just winning the point of attack, establishing that tone early. Both offense and defense did a great job of setting that tone early in this one. Nick, I think you mentioned it, uh, the Bears' ability to stop the run today. Why were they able to? I mean, obviously, I mean, the easy answer is the front seven just outmanned the Vikings' front today, but I felt like Leonard Floyd played a very big role on that today. He was able to fly across the field, uh, shut down his side um, in terms of not allowing the Vikings to set the edge, forcing plays back in, and that really allowed the Bears' linebackers and the rest of the front to really kind of gobble up um, any, any attempt that they had, at least early on in this game. Yeah, Leonard Floyd was all over the field today. Finished with eight total tackles, but really able to set the edge. So, look, Cook's not able to get to the outside. Then you're feeding it in towards Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks. Jonathan Buller, I thought, had a good game. And at times, Bilal Nichols was making some impact plays. So when you're able to do that, um, it just it really limits what the Vikings want to be able to do. You don't want to go to the teeth, the the strength of the Bears defense. You want to get to the outside where you have, you know, a numbers advantage or less people to go against, but it really those outside linebackers. And even though Cleo Mack didn't have, I guess a Cleo Mack type game where he's just pushing people with one hand, making these highlight moves. That's a big part of being a part of this Vic Fangio defense, setting the edge, and allowing those inside linebackers to come out, corral the the ball carrier, and just be able to do your job. So, like you said, Leonard Floyd did a good job there. I thought Cleo Mack did as well. So, I think that's why when you look at the the total rushing yards for the Minnesota Vikings, sixty three, and Cook only having thirty nine yards, and he was very talkative in the beginning, just trying to talk with these Bears defenders. But it, look, he's doing that for I think his own, uh, I guess, aura or whatever, trying to bring that up. But this Bears defense wasn't given an inch, and Brandon alluded to it. They won the point of attack, and they were in the backfield before Cook was even able to get to the line of scrimmage. So that's why the Bears had success. And when you do that, take like we said, take away the running game. Now you're just limiting the Vikings' options. And they had uh, Diggs and Thielen locked up. 
it's really hard to do anything against this Bears defense when especially you're only focused on one thing as opposed to the rushing and passing attack. So it, it was just a complete domination from every player and just doing their assignments right. Right. And coming into this game, all the talk, at least from the Vikings reporters and the Vikings side is, you know, ever since uh, John DeFilippo uh, was no longer the offensive coordinator, uh, they become much more balanced. And I was like, yeah, but you haven't played the Bears defense yet. And they're going to force you to be one dimensional. And that's what happened today. And that's why the Bears uh, were able to shut them down. And, you know, Kirk Cousins is a little bit you know, gun shy in the pocket when there are Bears defenders near him. And instead of finding a way to move out of it and deliver a strike. He's wincing up. He's tensing up and just kind of frozen like a statue. There were a few times today when he had a guy within a foot, and that was his reaction. He was afraid of the Bears front. He didn't know how to do anything against it. Um, So when you're playing like that and you have the quarterback that you're going up against, um, not being able to even react to anything besides just the pressure that's coming around him, it's going to be a really good day for you on defense, which we saw today. Now, mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and jump right into our uh, player-specific here. Let's begin with the defensive line. And, Brandon, I want to go over to you. You guys like Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks. Nick even mentioned John Board, Roy Robson, Harris, Bilal Nichols. Everyone pitched in today when, they're, when the tide came for it. Oh, absolutely. And Eddie Goldman, uh, one guy that really set his tone early. He had the first sack of the game, which I wasn't expecting Eddie Goldman to hardly get any pressure on the quarterback in this one. Figuring it'd be mostly Cleo Macklin or Floyd Keem Hicks, you know, the, the the natural guys we expect. But Eddie Goldman lays that first sack down. I'm like, oh, oh, it's on today. And and he absolutely did. He shut down the run up the middle. He had three tackles on the day. Same with Keem Hicks. He had three tackles a second and a half, tackle for a loss. Him and Eddie Goldman have similar stat lines just because they're able to dominate their guy. We said Thursday that the interior of that line was going to be the point where the Bears are going to have to overload. And Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman took full advantage of that today. And even Blau Nichols did uh, as well. He got a sec on this one as well. Uh, so he, he also, like Nick alluded to, made some very impact plays in this one as well. So it's nice to see that the whole front, even Roy Robertson-Harris coming off the edge, I mean, everybody was getting their their pieces or their you know their opportunities in today. Yeah, and Bilal Nichols, not just that sack, but there's a very key holding penalty in which the Vikings converted, yep. uh, was able to move the sticks, but he was able to draw a hole to push them back. Um, so that's another underrated aspect of what he was able to bring to the table today. Uh, Nick, I'm going to go over to you. Does anyone kind of uh, stick out to you that you want to bring up? Man, it's just every week you can you can look at my notes and it, you you would think I'm just copying and pasting just because Akeem Hicks does such similar things every game. He utilizes that sp- Swim moves so well to where he's able to just beat the interior pressure. It doesn't matter if there's a double team, finds a way, fights through, gets a sack, gets that defensive line pumped up. And it's not just the sacks or the pressures. He's able to contain, you know, uh, his gap and not allow the ball carry to get through. He's he's an absolute monster. And at this point in the season, usually for Akeem Hicks, it's not he's not the same player as he was when to start the season. But I feel like for Akeem Hicks, just with all the other defensive players around him, that he's still just getting getting going, and which is crazy to say, and because he had one and a half sacks this uh, this game, and just the dominant player he's been all season. But Akeem Hicks, uh, just an outstanding player each and every week. He has six sacks on the season, if that is updated right. But man, a guy that you can always rely on, regardless of what his assignment is, going to flow to the ball, even if it's you know the opposite side of where he's at, going to rally his troops, rally his teammates. Just a phenomenal player, and that Bears defense really feeds off of his energy. Yes, they do. And speaking of a player in which they feed off the energy, Cleo Mack, and the funny thing is he had a very big impact on this game, speeding up Cousins' clock, getting in there, forcing some more plays inside, all of that, and he doesn't even end up on the stat sheet. So if you're just like, you know, box score, just kind of skimming, you're like, 
Well, Khalil Mack didn't do anything today. But that's the reason why you watch the games and you listen to a podcast like this because we can tell you, hey, he did a little bit more than the box score would indicate here. He was, he was very impactful across the board. And then you talked about Akeem Hicks, and one other play that kind of sticks out to me is very early on, um, but he was able to make um, a tackle right at the line of scrimmage on Cook. And that was a play where he initially got blown back by like two yards, but then was still able to move over, get off the block, and then close in a hurry to still limit that to a zero-yard gain because that was one that could have went from two, three-plus. And still to have the closing speed for a guy of his size, to meet him at the line of scrimmage and take him down, someone like Cook, uh, very impressive. And, of course, Akeem Hicks going to his first Pro Bowl, or maybe not going to it, but was elected to it. Maybe he won't have to play in it. Again, we'll get there when the time comes. Uh, just another impressive outing by him today. Now, guys, I want to move over to the linebackers. And, of course, Leonard Floyd, to me, is someone who stuck out. He has been playing very well over the last five to six games, and today was no exception whatsoever. So I'm curious, Nick, uh, Leonard Floyd, I know that he's someone that you've been – you know, very confident in, but also very critical of at times. I'm curious to your take today about Leonard Floyd. Yeah, I thought he played a great game and I alluded to it earlier, just being all over the field. And I think that's just a product of one being healthy and then just having confidence within himself. And really after I think he got that first sack against what was it? The first meeting against Detroit. That's where things started to be on the, the come up, I would say, for Leonard Floyd. And he's just a completely different player from what? Maybe the first seven, seven, six, six or seven weeks of the season to where he's at now. Incredibly great compliment to Cleo Mack on the opposite side. And it really showed in this game. And we already said already he finished with eight total tackles all over the field. Didn't have, you know, a sack or anything like that, but he did have one tackle for loss. I think that the versatility with you, you have a guy like Leonard Floyd who utilizes his speed, but is also now, uh, now that his hand is actually healthy, is able to utilize that to get to the quarterback and just a spin move. He has a really good spin move. Um, just all of that. When you combine that, with Leonard Floyd and now how he's playing with this, this confidence. Now he's a completely different player than what he was at the beginning of the season. And that's great because it was all Cleo Mack and who else is going to step up? Well, Leonard Floyd's definitely a guy that who knows at any point he can make the impact play. He can get that sack, maybe get that deflected pass. He's already got a pick six on the season. So Leonard Floyd's definitely a guy that I know opposing offenses are game planning for. And you already got a game play game plan for Cleo Mack. Team Hicks, Eddie Go. I mean, it's it's I think a nightmare for an opposing offense coming against the Spurs defense. Honestly, yes, it is, especially at Soldier Field. So again, uh, next week is Wild Card. We don't know exactly when that game is going to be slated yet, either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, if I find out here before we end up wrapping up this podcast, I'll make sure to let you know because I'm very curious myself so we can kind of plan accordingly. But yeah, Leonard Floyd, he led the team with tackles today with eight. Three of them were solo and a tackle for a loss. Uh, someone who is very impactful across the board. Brandon, how about you? Um, any other linebackers you want to bring up? I know Roquan Smith was around the ball early on. Um, he ended up today six tackles, which means he ended up three shy of breaking the record, uh, which, hey, if they didn't, if they didn't you know, pull the dogs out, um, late in this game, who knows? He couldn't end up breaking this record because he ended uh, end up leaving a little bit, uh, what, halfway through the fourth or somewhere around there. So unfortunate for Roquan not to get the record, but regardless of if he broke it or not, uh, he's been having a phenomenal rookie season. But Brandon, over to you about Bears linebackers. Oh, yeah, he's, Roquan's absolutely having a great year. And I think that we see Leonard Floyd and Roquan Smith leading the team in tackles uh, for the same reason because I think that those are the two guys that, teams look at and go I think we can try to run that way because like you said earlier Leonard Floyd is just doing a great job of establishing the edge 
forcing guys back inside. Uh, and so when they're going to, because they're not going to run towards Kulmak, that's why he's not on the stat sheet in this one. They tried to avoid him at all costs. And that's why Leonard Floyd ends up with eight tackles, which is the same side that Roquan Smith's going to be on more times than not, I believe, because Danny Trevathan only ended up with three, although he did have two tackles for a loss. Uh, so I, I think that those two linebackers are the ones that teams look at and go, we might have a chance here. But as we've seen today, they didn't really stand much of a chance going that way. So if they're looking for a weak side, air quotes, weak side, it's it's just not there with this Bears linebacking court because they just the the defensive line does, does such a good job being disciplined, staying within their gap, allowing the linebackers to come in and make the aggressive plays on the run. And even in coverage, Cal Rudolph didn't exactly have, you know, the most impactful day like I thought he might have. Uh, Cal Rudolph ended with four receptions for 19 yards, targeted five times. He and that, you know, those are all mostly linebacker matchups that are on him. So despite him having or catching about 80% of the passes that came his way. He wasn't as much of an impact as I think that we thought might have thought on Thursday will because they, I mean, these linebackers just did a great job of jamming him at the line and not allowing him to get the yards after the catch. So very great job by both Roquan and Danny Trevathan in coverage as well, which is something that we were kind of shaky about earlier this year. Right. And on top of that too, uh, Danny Trevathan ended up today with two tackles for a loss today, um, which again, anytime you get that just proves how dominant your front seven is being, but Danny uh, was doing a great job flowing south today, pushing you know pushing them back with those two tackles for a loss. And you talked about Rudolph. I, even though we're not to the secondary yet, and we're about to segue into there, uh, props to Adrian Amos because there were a couple times where Rudolph was able to catch a ball, and Amos got right in there. And, of course, Rudolph's a big guy, and he was able to take him down uh, with some very big hits, um, wrap him up easily, allowing very minimal uh, yards after the catch as well. Uh, so for me, that's definitely uh, just some props to Adrian Amos there. And of course, he had another big physical hit um, to force uh, turnover on downs late in this game as well. Uh, so with that, Nick, unless you have anything else about linebackers, we could segue into the secondary. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, we can. But you have my <laughs> approval. And uh, that was the worst transition we've had all year. That was. <laughs> We're self, we can self-admit that. We can admit our mistakes, just like Coach Nagy. But for me, I'll begin the secondary with Kyle Fuller, uh, because today, especially early on, and again, I'm saying that early on because, honestly, in the second half, it was just that one long-scoring drive the Vikings had, and that was about it for the starters um, today. So Kyle Fuller, early on in this game, there's a couple instances where uh, he was in coverage and there was a player on the Vikings, there's a couple different ones, who caught the ball, and he was like five to six yards away from him, but closed so fast they were able to get zero yards after the catch. You know, he had a great open field tackle on um, both of those situations. So for Kyle Fuller to play off like he did to keep things in front of him, but regardless of the fact that if they got a ball, he was able to close so fast, they weren't even going to turn up field or even think about getting any additional yards. So for me, uh, Kyle Fuller locking down his side is one of my bigger uh, takeaways from the secondary. Uh, Nick, how about you? Prince of Mukamara, two PIs today, <laughs> one ticky-tacky, one was denied or declined, I should say. Um, but I'm curious if your day, uh, take on his day and uh, probably Sherrick McManus as well. You know, Prince Mukamara, I thought he was just playing his game because he likes to play that man coverage, and he almost had a pick six in this one. It was really close to, to having that, but he did have the two PIs, and like I said, really ticky-tacky fouls there. But I thought overall, he, you know, I thought he had a good day, even though there was there were those two penalties. The Bears have been pretty good all season not having penalties on that side of the football. Um, but he was just playing his game. He likes to get up into the receiver's face, disrupt him at the line of scrimmage, and then take those opportunities uh, to, you know, maybe have a pick six and he almost had one in this game, but I'll go back uh, even uh, just when you were talking about tackling, I thought the entire defense really did a good job at limiting the yak. Like you said, Kyle Fuller, there were a couple guys that caught the ball in front of him, 
really fast closing speed. You saw that throughout the entire defense and just wrapping up, not having those missed tackles. That's been something that has plagued the Bears defense as good as it's been. The secondary, the linebackers, whoever it may be, was really good at uh, tackling today. And that's encouraging because, like I said, it's been something that the Bears defense has struggled with this season. But I thought Prince of Mukamara had a good game. And then Sherrick McManus. Honestly, I didn't even know he was out there at times, which is not a bad thing. Um, obviously, the the Vikings have some guys like Thielen will line up in the slot at times. But uh, he didn't line up uh, or he didn't uh, end the game with a very productive stat line. Three, three receptions, 36 yards. And... He's a guy that will line up in the slot. Sheriff McManus didn't even know he was out there. And like I said, that's not the worst uh, worst case when you're a defensive back in the NFL. Right, exactly. And again, Chick McManus is someone where Brandon and I on Thursday were talking like, this may end up being the game where you miss uh, you know, a Bryce Callahan just a little bit. But I think we need to quit that narrative, and everyone should as well, because ever since he stepped in for Bryce, he's been playing out of his mind. And like I mentioned after this happened, how cool would it be for him who has always been kind of reserved for special teams in his career to come out here, be a lockdown nickel corner for a very deep playoff run. That would just be a great kind of story for him to kind of, you know, buy his time um, in the background, in the shadows a little bit, just being a special teams ace and being known for that, for him being a very critical part of this playoff run, that can change the entire narrative of his career when we kind of look back and reflect on it. This can be like, oh, remember that year where Sherrick McManus came out of nowhere and was like a very, you know, driving force behind the Bears defense and when they end up going as far as I'm going to just speculate into the playoffs right now. I don't want to put words out there just yet, but just saying, like, it's, I think now it shouldn't be something we worry about. He's given us zero reasons to worry ever since he's taken over there for Bryce Callahan. B, is there anything else about the Bears secondary that you want to make sure we bring up? I'll just touch on the safeties real quick. Uh, the only blunder from Deion Bush, who was my X-Factor on defense, I was wondering where he grabbed the face mask of Adam Thielen there on the deep shot. If he would have been, you know, just a step closer, he could have maybe, maybe, maybe intercepted it or, you know, made a much cleaner play on the ball rather than drawing that penalty, which ended up, I think, being a lot, lot nicer. It was only the 15-yard driver and the spot foul. So uh, I guess that's a win if we're going to take one there. But overall, Dion needs to be a little bit quicker as far as being the center fielder, making sure that nobody gets behind him. Uh, and he, he'll learn from that, I'm sure, when he looks back at the tape. And then Adrian Amos, uh, you brought him up a little bit. Uh, I thought the game was really iced when he nailed Stefan Diggs on that fourth and two uh, to draw the ball jar the ball loose uh, on that underneath route. So just a very good game by him, uh, third on the team in tackles with five. Didn't do anything too flashy other than the, the one big hit, but he kept Kyle Rudolph a check, no no yards after the catch, like you said. So very impressive uh, by both safeties today, aside from the one blunder by Bush. Yeah, and at least it wasn't a P.I. I mean, they ended up scoring right. regardless, so it doesn't matter. But still, um, it's just one of those where I think his hand just kind of got caught in there after he had it up. So other than that, yeah, he played well. Um, additionally uh, with Adrian Amos. And the one thing I want to say about the secondary is that they should probably be patting the guys in front of them, the linebackers and the defensive line on the head after this one, uh, because for them to really stop the run as well as they did today for the most part, um, especially in the first half, that really stopped what the Vikings have been doing so well over the last month, and that's play action and getting bigger plays off of the play action. And so for the Bears to stop the run, it made the secondary's job that much easier because Cousins had no time, could only throw it short, and they couldn't set up the Bears for any of these, uh, you know, play actions, take a deep shot kind of plays. So for the Bears, uh, front seven, uh, for to shut down the run, the secondary job got a little bit easier today. I'm not saying it's a knock on the secondary, but with an easier job, they were able to uh, really hold their own more than maybe we thought coming into this game. 
All right, guys, it's time to enter the final quarter of this post-game show. And let's go ahead and begin with special teams, which I guess it's the two negatives, Cody Parkey and Tariq Cohen with the, you know, the punt retreat. Nick, uh, which one is uh, aggravating you the most? Because to me, it's a toss-up. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, you know, I think just heading into playoff time, Cody Parkey's going to have to make field goals. And just seeing him miss again today, or missing the extra point, sorry, today is just – Look, it's an extra point. Those should be look for most kickers. It's not automatic now, but <laughs> you want to see it be something that you don't have to really worry about. Maybe that's why the Bears on you know later in the game went for two, and Kukowski has a two two point reception uh, conversion instead of Cody Parkey hitting the extra point. But yeah, it's not something that you like to see from your from your field goal kicker going into now the playoffs, not knowing whether or whether or not he's going to make it. And that's something that has plagued them all season. We just don't know about Cody Parkey. To me, it's like a 50-50 shot, even though he did make, a, what was it, a 42-yarder uh, later yeah. in the game, which was nice to see. It was great. Um, I wish uh, Matt Nagy, instead of going for it on fourth down later in the game, give him another opportunity just to see mm -hmm. what he's got, is the confidence in himself, if he's able to make this kick, see the distance, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, it's a really, for me, when Cody Parkey goes up to kick, I just don't know what exactly is going to happen. I always end my notes, Cody Parkey's and then whatever the distance field goal is, and then I put the ellipses there and then usually it's no good or he made or whatever it may be. So it's always, I have to wait because I just don't know. Yeah. I think there's been twice this year when I have a tweet preset, like, Oh, and he makes the field goal. Cause they're easier ones. And then I'm like, backspace, backspace, backspace. I'm like, <laughs> I'll never do that again. I promise. I didn't say it after the extra point. Uh, well, before the extra point today. So that one was not on me. Uh, but Brandon, how about you? Uh, Pody, Pody. Well, maybe he's Pody. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Cody Parkey or Tariq Cohen? Uh, which one do you want to talk about? Um, I want to touch on Parkey just a little bit here. Uh, you'll notice that extra point that he had before on that first drive. There was a lot of pressure coming off the right side of the line, uh, and he missed or he made that extra point, but it was just barely inside the left because he was pushing it. I think to avoid getting in blocks. So he has a little bit, I think, of uh, discomfort, I guess, in his head about the guys in front of him being able to block effectively. I think that might have played a part in it. I don't want to make excuses for the guy because you got to be able to make those. But, again, he hit it off the upright, which is kind of cool. I don't know how many times you can do that in a year. Uh, but, anyway, uh, we'll go to the punt real fast, too. I'm not necessarily disappointed in Tariq Cohen, although I am. Uh, more upset in Patrick O'Donnell uh, because Minnesota punted out of the back of their end zone. Tariq Cohen takes that punt for negative two yards and the penalty on O'Donnell because he got in the way of the ref. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Take a couple steps back. I, I know you're trying to scout for him, tell him who's going to be around. You know, I understand that, but you got to know where other guys are out on the field, Pat. And that, that just that frustrated me more than anything because that was an 82-yard, you know, flipping in, in how the play or how the, the game was going, I guess. Uh, field position, that's the word I was looking for. So uh, he's just got to be able to to know where the refs are at, I guess. I didn't know that that was as big of an issue as it was. So that was just a, a big momentum swing, I think, in the game. you got to be able to keep guys who aren't involved on the field uh, not involved when it comes to penalties, I guess. Right. And, Nick, you know that firehouse drill? This is the second time they've ran it, and it hasn't worked yet. So I believe if they try it in the playoffs, it will, because third time's a charm. But this time they didn't run over a ref. Um, but the play clock ended up expiring, even though I was confused how the, that all was working because of how the ref was standing over the ball until about three or four seconds left on the play clock. I'm just curious. Do you have anything you want to mention about that play? Do you want to see it tried again, or you just that's a failed experiment move on? I don't know if it's going to work but it's, because it seems like every time that Matt Nagy's actually run it, the fish, the officials there waiting 
for the the defense to get set. So it's like you're trying to catch him off guard, but the official's not going to let you. So I wonder if that's like a written rule or what what it is there. To, because Matt Nagy thinks there's an advantage of quickly swapping out the special teams for the offense and then being able to run a play right then and there. But it just doesn't seem like it will work because the officials are going to hold the ball, wait until the defense subs in, and then uh, everyone's set again. So maybe Matt Nagy brings it out. I have no idea what Matt Nagy's ever going to call in a game because he's you know very creative <laughs> in what he does. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to work because the officials, there's going to be some kind of officiating that's going to get in the way of that and not give Matt Nagy that competitive advantage that he thinks he has every time he runs it. Right. And real quick, too, I want to mention that the play to Nick Kwiatkowski, the two-point conversion, um, its name was Lollipop. So my translation translation for that was like, so long, suckers, because, the, you know, the game was pretty much out of reach by then. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. It's time to grade this game. So I'm very curious. You know, a game that um, I would say two out of three phases really dominated throughout most with uh, special teams being the one that's kind of uh, hindering just a little bit. So I'm curious how much that's going to impact your grade. Again, though, it's week 17. The Bears have 12 wins on the year. Uh, they just eliminated the Vikings out of the playoffs. So it's not this whole uh, situation that kind of happened in 2011, 2012, when the Bears allowed the Packers to sneak into the playoffs and they came up biting them in the butt um, a couple weeks later. So we don't have to worry about that. So I'm curious, where's this grade going to go? And Brandon, I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm giving it an A plus because the defense didn't even allow 50 yards by halftime. Mitch just looked so comfortable, so smooth. The offensive line was playing well. The running game was going very well. And despite the uh, special teams issues that came up, uh, they were able to overcome the adversity. And I think that speaks a lot about this team and the fact that I think this is uh, really an extra added playoff game because you have, uh, if you face, kind of like we talked about on Thursday, face your divisional opponent three times. I'm personally not a fan of those chances. So the fact they're able to go in there on what I'm going to call an extra playoff game, eliminate them, I think that really speaks uh, to the, attitude that this team has as far as where we're going to go in the playoffs. So I give this one an A plus. I think a, a very good message was sent. What about you, Nick? I have to give it an A as well. I mean, I think that what the bears are able to do uh, 24 to 10 convincing, convincing win on both sides, both sides of the football offensively and defensively, uh, especially knowing that the Vikings were coming in, had to win. They, they took care of business. And despite being down some players, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the bears took care of business and just it was you knew that the Bears were going to win regardless of what what was happening throughout the game. Uh, defensively, the Bears dominated and offensively, the Bears were able to get creative. And Mitch Trubisky had some really encouraging third down conversion that big pivotal points in the game. So that's why I have to give it an A. They took care of business, got their 12th win on the season on the road. And that was big for the Bears, regardless of what the Rams were doing. Matt Nagy had a great game plan, was able to finish out. And yeah, so I have to give it an A. You said Rams. Well, oh, regardless okay. of what the Rams 49ers. Okay, yeah. I see. As soon as I said, I'm like, oh, yeah, you meant the game, the other game that we're paying the attention to today. I was mm -hmm. like, we're not playing the Rams. Maybe not yet, <laughs> but okay. So for me, I'm, again, I can't really do it any better than you guys did. It was a very dominant performance. Like we already said throughout this entirety of the show on both sides. So it's an A, A plus, however you want to carve it. I'll give them the plus because they've won um, actually since week seven loss to the Patriots. I just did some quick math. Uh, they are nine and one since that week seven loss. So. It's kind of nice, guys, to talk about nine victories in 10 weeks. It's very unchartered territory for us. Um, so this is, of course, new, and it's exciting, and I can't wait to talk about playoffs as well. But, yeah, this this game by itself, uh, the Bears, uh, they came to play um, in the game, which uh, the only thing that they could really play for for the majority of it was to knock out the Vikings. They did that. They set the tone saying, like, 
we're going to be the only team in the playoffs from the NFC North to represent. And that's going to be us. And it's not going to be both of us. And we're not going to deal with you a week later. We don't, you know, we don't care about Philadelphia. They don't scare us. You don't scare us, but we're going to take care of you. And then we'll take care of the Eagles. And that's kind of the mindset that they had. And I love it. And I can't wait to see exactly how it all shapes out. But guys, with our two minute warning, let's do it a little bit differently today. Because again, we're entering the playoffs and we don't know really what to expect once we get there. This is a very young team, a very inexperienced playoff team. There's only a few players on this team who do have playoff experience. But uh, I just wanted to kind of gauge your guys' thoughts as we enter this playoff week, uh, where the Bears currently stand, and just some expectations for the playoffs against the Eagles before we kind of break into this week-long preview that we're about to embark on. So, Brandon, over to you for your two-minute warning. Bears win and, of course, playoffs ahead. Yeah, so the Bears win in very dominant fashion like we established throughout the entirety of the show. And now they get to come home and play Philadelphia, who was who I wanted uh, Thursday when we talked about what the best scenario was going to be. Uh, we talked about, you know, Nick Foles. You know, I think, you know, the, we I think Will and I thought it was the weakest quarterback uh, of the group that we could have potentially faced. And it may not even be Nick Foles. It might be Nate Sedfeld, although I have my doubts. Uh, but regardless, I think that uh, regardless whoever we play at home, uh, the Bears have just played lights out one loss at home this year. And I don't expect that to stop next week. I think that they're going to be able to pick up another one. Although I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Got to do a little bit more homework on this one. But I, I like this matchup against the Eagles, uh, especially with a weaker quarterback. I think he's going to be a little bit more deer in the headlights than he's anticipating. I don't know if this is the matchup that the Eagles necessarily want to try and repeat a, a Super Bowl run. Uh, but it speaks to a lot of what the Eagles are as a team as well, because they were not a team that started very well. They weren't even sure if they're going to make it to the playoffs and they barely squeaked their way in. So, uh, I think this is a, a good matchup for the Bears in this one. What about you, Nick? You know, Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy, two Andy Reid kind of, you know, disciples a little bit here. How, what, are you, what are you excited for? Yeah, this is going to be a great matchup, I think. And it was encouraging to see that the Bears were able to take care of business on, you know, the offensive line specifically because, again, we talked about the Vikings had, I think, the most sacks coming into this game. Now they get an Eagles front seven that can really get after the quarterback. But if the Bears can keep Trubisky clean, that's going to change, you know, the whole element of this game, what they're able to do offensively. But I think in both teams are going to bring out some creative play calling. Uh, there's going to be some, obviously, some good amount of plays, uh, some Good amount of points scored, but it's it's at home at Soldier Field, and I was there when you know the Bears played the Packers. It when it was an opportunity for them to clinch the division, and that crowd. I mean, when the Bears are playing well, getting after the quarterback and just having success, it's electrifying. And I know, despite you know, right when the Eagles get there, that that same type of environment's going to be there, and the Bears really have a competitive advantage when. You know, you have that siren going around every time they get a sack at Soldier Field. They 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 all yell out "boom!" So it's so much excitement there at Soldier Field, and I think that's gonna. They're seven and one at home, and they're a completely different team at home. So I'm expecting you know the Bears to just come out with you know just punching the Eagles in the mouth. To be completely honest, this is a team that is not that Super Bowl team of a year ago, and we don't know what we're gonna get at quarterback. Uh, for the Eagles, but the Bears front seven, what they're able to do on defense. I think they're going to get after Nick Foles. Not a very, not the most mobile guy. And look, if you're not mobile against this Bears defense, good luck because if you're just going to be a pocket passer, there's not going to be really a pocket to pass from with this Bears defense. And then Mitch Trubisky, just go out and be efficient. Don't turn over the football. And I'm expecting him to do that. So it's it's a secondary that's very weak too for the Eagles. They've had a lot of injuries on that side of the ball, but. I'm, I'm expecting the Bears to get past this round. And even without doing the, the scouting report on this Eagles team, 
Uh, the Bears are just a better football team. So I cannot wait to see this matchup. If my memory serves me correctly, they have Craven starting in their secondary, don't they? They do. Ooh, that's enticing. <laughs> I mean, that's gonna I mean that's good for him as well. We have what Craven. I know we have, of course, Alshon. Uh, any other Corey arms that we have to worry on about? that defense too? Remember Corey Graham? Corey Graham, he's still going. <laughs> he's still going, <laughs> but he's going as a safety now, so he's playing really out of position. It's this is a secondary that the Bears can really attack in this one. Did Deion Hall make the team? Not Deion, DeAndre Hall. I remember he oh, went there. Traded, yeah, he went there. I don't even know. It would be a good thing if he is playing. because See, This is why we have a whole week. <laughs> we have a whole week to figure that out. But regardless, it's actually exciting that just off the top of our heads here, half you know, at the end of this postgame show, we can already start drawing some of these connections. And it's going to be a lot of fun to break it down all week long. And, of course, to have our first ever postseason, what is it, postgame show? That's going to be odd to say. Playoff postgame show might be the words I'm going to use. See, I have to think about how I'm actually going to frame this. So new territory all the way around. But for me, guys, uh, we'll just wait for this week. I'm excited for the playoffs. It's been a long time as Bears fans since we actually can set our sights on it. And I know we've been patient on the podcast, taking it game by game, just like the Bears do with Matt Nagy, week by week, one opponent at a time. But the time is finally here to set our sights on the playoffs, talk about a big matchup that can lead us into the divisional round of, of course, the NFC. And we'll see how it all shakes out. But I'm very excited. But the Bears play like they did today on both sides of the ball, getting a guy like Allen Robinson back, potentially getting a guy like Eddie Jackson back, getting our receivers back, and Gabriel, who should be okay, and Anthony Miller, who Matt Nagy said should be okay. Things, I mean, this Bears offense, to get Kyle Long back for a full game too, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I'm very excited to see how it all shakes out. But we have a whole week to break it down, so no need to kind of dance around it anymore. Let's just kind of close out here. Again, the Bears won 24-10. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Chicago Audible as much as we've enjoyed putting it out there for you. And again, it's been a fun season. Stick with us because we anticipate it being a very fun postseason as well. So again, bring on the Philadelphia Eagles. So... With that, we'll begin our week preview here in a couple of days. Um, from our family to yours, I want to wish you all a happy new year. But until then, we'll talk to you all in 2019. And of course, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.